8.26 p.m. Thursday night. I have a rarely free night. Our song Dizzy is going to come out in 34 minutes. And I figured I would do something similar um, to the Alend bonus episode. But it's going to be a little different because I learned something during that. Um, I learned that podcast editing is hard. Um, that's one of those jobs that I underestimated, period. And I have the freest version. You know, I have like a free form interview another person, hang out with them show. And it's still a lot more than I thought. You got to go through and check stuff. And, and, um, and I'm sure people are underestimating this too. So just know there's, there's work that goes into this that, that, that goes unaccounted for. So mad props. I'm drinking a uh, Topo Chico as I'm, as I'm want to. But yeah, this is going to be a dizzy special episode so we can talk about this song that, um, if you've heard the show, which I'll probably just have to stop saying that now because I'm sure I'll, I repeat myself all the time, but dizzy was a song that I thought was going to come out in May or June initially earlier because I thought it was going to come out well, initially, when we were going to go on tour, and then secondarily, I thought it was going to come out early in the quarantine, but but this slowed us down, and that's okay. Um, I think there was a lot of moments during all this where it didn't feel appropriate to be talking about ourselves or trying to make ourselves stay relevant or say anything. I think it was just a good chance to listen, and that's, you know... This was going to come out around the same time as the George Floyd murder, so we obviously piped down. And, you know, it's still an ongoing thing. It's still an ongoing, like, we need to listen sort of deal. Um, but now I'm just hoping that this can be an escape for people or, you know. I'm seeing music come out more and more, and my friends are putting out records, and if you haven't listened to uh, Floral Prince by Field Medic or any of Chris's solo stuff with St. Christopher or One of One by Runner, you are blowing it because um, they're all good stuff coming out of uh, my friend's music and people who've been on this show, alumna, direct support alumna, which should make them headliners. Ooh, that's good. I like that. Should I make guests uh, who've been on the show before? Should I call them alumna? <laughs> Why not? Um, I'm going to look at my release rate, RC. What's up? I got just I got this crazy good vibe in my room right now because my roommate Johnny, bless his soul, just handed me um, a bunch of like hue lights. So I got like green going in this room. I got blue in my closet, red in the bathroom. It's fucking soup. Oh yeah, Ginger Roots got a new single. He's not an alumnus, but I do have to hit up Cameron and get him on the show. Anyway, I thought I would do it kind of like the Alenda bonus episode, which if you haven't heard that, go ahead and check that out. But uh, a little different. I'm just going to have probably one excerpt in this show from each of my bandmates. Um, just a little bit of my conversation with each of them. And then mostly just talk myself. It's also just been like months since we had those conversations. So all that stuff feels not dated, but it just feels like uh, I had a different perspective on it. Now, now I'm like so excited and in a sense relieved to be putting this episode out and to be talking to y'all. Um, so I wrote this song on tour a really long time ago, like over a year ago. 
Um, and I started working on it and then it became like my sound check song at shows. So we'd be like in Florida and I would start, you know, riffing on it for a little bit and then Colin would join me cause he knew the, his part and he was working out his baseline too. So it was like one of those things where it would be like, as soon as I had all my stuff dialed in and if I was going to sing during sound check and stuff, like I would sing it and be playing it and then they'd be like, can you shut up for a second? We still need to check the snare drum or something. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. But whoever was good, you know, that's kind of how bands tend to be. It's a little annoying when someone else does it to you. So I know how annoying I was being. Um, But I was just excited about it and kind of worked out the lyrics on the road. And it was kind of a more uh, progressive, as in like the progression of it took a long time to write. uh, Longer than I usually do because I was basically like journaling how I felt on the road. Um because we were out with the Mowgli's and Kylie, who was on last week's episode, which was a really cool episode. And um, and it was our first time doing something across the Mississippi. It was the first time playing shows in like places like Florida and Washington, D.C. and New York and all, and all this. And, um, and so all these, you know, lines were like first verses, kind of a confessional of like, uh, years and years of us being a band at home, um, wanting to leave and putting all this pressure on what touring means and wanting to be a touring band so bad. Um, yeah, I want to see your city in due time and, um, you know, blaming different things on, on why we hadn't been out there and This was cool. I feel like the the chorus was kind of a cool thesis to things like um, feeling dizzy about the way that I've been losing control. That's the whole line. And it's like spins you around because the second verse is all about being on the road and missing home. Um, which, of course, right? That's humanity, right? Isn't it like fucking the seaweed is always greener. Somebody sees lake like it's fucking that's everything um is as soon as you get the thing you want you realize you missed the thing you had and then you realize that i'm going to be yo-yoing between this feeling for the rest of my music career um unless you can practice like stillness uh which i don't know if i have it yet but i'm i'm more uh inclined to feel that way now than ever um, and, uh, and I really like this second verse. It's a trick we do a lot as a band is like dynamically, we bring that second verse down a ton. And I've had a couple of the other guys tell me that that's their favorite part of the song is when everything kind of drops out and it's just kind of the vocals and, and like the most minimal drums and bass that you can have. Like that part of the song is kind of a special little moment because it's pretty vulnerable and intimate. And I'm talking about missing, someone at home and, um, you know, what is that? What's the line? Text that I want to see your skin. Uh, what I uh, say state the year, but what's the line? Text that I want to see. Barely thinking about the state that you're in. I mean, that's a little double entendre, um, that I'm like more proud of than I should be because it's not just like, it's not just the thing of like me being on the road and like 
<laughs> lustful is that the most eloquent way to say it like and missing somebody at home and also um like not only like are you unaware of somebody's like mental state when you're in different places but like also like not having seen somebody in weeks and literally being in different states you know it's both of those things at the same time it's like uh disconnection and so many texts with a gal being like hey have fun in austin tonight and you're like we're in houston <laughs> um and then and then reverse is like yo what's up and then like sorry i have to get food in my stomach before i go on stage or i'll die and then i'll probably throw that up anyway but that's what I've, I've wanted my whole life, you know? It's what, like, all of us, like, fight to get to as musicians. And and then that bridge was um, something that I had wanted to do for a long time because there have been so many of these um, moments where I realized that, like, my favorite thing about our band is how many voices are strong. You know, and I feel like when Matt can carry the percussion and the three of us can all sing at the same time and have like cool slinky guitar stuff happening on top of each other, that that's the fucking key, dude. That's fun. Something we've been leaning into more in our writing lately um, than we ever did before, unless you count like woes and oohs and oohs and ahs. And, um, and so, yeah, man, that was kind of a cool moment to like, cause in that part of the song, I'm fucking down in the mix and we turn Colin up in the mix and, and Chris is playing a lead and it's like, Colin's the vocal in the front there, man. That's tight. I love it. And it's kind of rappy for me. Like I get out of breath. I, I got out of breath when we were recording and we we're, and I've been like trying to figure, I was like trying to figure out how to make it all work. And the guys were basically having me like squeeze as many, many possible words out as I could before doing another take and all that shit. And so then that turnaround. So, so anyway, so that song was like in the works, like since like summer of last year, I would say like late, like maybe August or July or August of last year. Now I knew that I liked that bridge outro, but I did, it felt like it got too climactic for us to go back to the, the chorus. Um, and so we were toying around with it in practice when we got back from that tour. And this must be like September, October of 20. Yeah. September, October of 2019. My bad. Matt just like goes into this like crazy tempo change thing. And it was like a natural, like jammy thing, which is like, we, we, we're not a jammy band. We're like a work it out band and then bring it to everybody. So like the fact that Matt went into that and we kept going, I remember us like just trading shrugs. Everybody was just trading shrugs and smirks, smirks. Like we were just looking around and being like, uh, I don't know, we'll keep rolling with it. And then just like Colin came in with the bass and then the song kind of built up naturally the way it sounds. And I would say that like, besides us just cleaning up like the hits and like the actual nuances, that was how we decided to end it. And that moment was like a point of contention of like, it didn't make sense that the song would change tempo not go back to the chorus. I would never sing like besides like background yelly stuff. 
again for the rest of the song and it goes on for another like a minute and a half but but that's the way it goes and here's a little bit of my conversation with chris i think those tiny little things went a really long way in the end of this track and making it something special you guys really were responsible for all the stuff that you don't really hear but if it was missing the song sounds a lot worse and a lot emptier and a lot thinner yeah you feel it yeah we like that outro so much that we like had trouble cutting it even though the song's over you know yeah yeah and i think that was an interesting debate that we had as a band that like had some emotion in it was like I was definitely ne- not down at all to cut it unless there was like really good reason. Like and a really good case to be made for us making radio if we take it off, you know? Yeah, yeah. If 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 like K-Rock was like, we'll play this tonight, if you cut that outro, I would be I would be willing to discuss making a radio edit. And we'll do that now, by the way, if you, if you DJ yeah. K-Rock, we'll figure K-Rock, it out. <laughs> K-Rock, if you're listening, we're yeah. down. We're down, but like Jack FM doesn't get yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, no, not a chance. Well, I, I mean, it feels so, um, it feels like such a part, like such an integral part of the song to me and i think it's because of the process of how it came about because i think it just came about from us jamming i mean that was matt, i don't matt, think anything matt just did a tempo change. had in mind matt yeah. just did a tempo change and we loved it and we just went off for like 15 minutes i think yeah and i i think everybody immediately knew what it would what it was gonna feel like as we built like we all we never had any issue building the right way i think the only thing we ever had to figure out was how long it was gonna be yeah um but I like the the bass running with the drums is something that's like in in that way is something that's like a very new groove for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and being able to do the wall of sound thing with my reverberation machine is like I always love doing the tremolo picking, crazy stuff like that. So it was just fun, and it felt like such a logical next step for the song in even thematically um for it to grow i think a lot about um that song by manchester orchestra shake it out mm-hmm. uh where i like that song but when it gets to the end it's such an unnecessary part if you're if you're a manager mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but I wouldn't listen to that song if it wasn't for the ending. And the ending is one of my favorite moments in that band's discography. They do that so much for me where it's like, okay, this is like just sometimes you'll listen to a whole song just because one of the bars, they skip the eighth beat or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the end of now that you're home. Like Mm -hmm. that's why I listen to that song. Yeah. And, uh, and so it, it just always felt like, like that where it was just this natural it's, an, it's almost like the song is a question and that outro is an answer to it, which is awesome. That's like kind of one of those beautiful reasons why you write songs and why we're in a band and not doing like singer songwriter stuff with these songs. Cause these things are ultimately impossible to grow 
out of one brain. It has to be like, it's very, it, it very much is the four of our brains transforming into one. Nice. Fully, fully wonder twins. Robots in disguise. Yeah. But that was kind of the magic, man. And I think that that's why we like didn't really concede, but that was just like a magic moment. And I didn't want us to shy away from it. And I was excited that we hit it. And, uh, and I think everybody was kind of just fired up on that moment. And so we just kept plugging away. And so then when we went back out on the road again, which is why this would be 2019, we're going out with the, the dangerous summer and, um, and lock it. Okay. Quick transition. Just, just an aside. The show's called Direct Support because it's about like being a musician and not having made it and being in the zone before you become a headliner. I don't know if I've ever explained that. I mean, like when I text it to my friends who come to be on the show, they're like, that's sick. But I don't think I've ever said anything about it. And like direct support is like, I would say, you know, (laughs) like it's probably mildly inside baseball but it just means the band that plays before the headliner any night that you go to a show and it kind of is that feeling of like perpetually not feeling like a headliner and so that's kind of what I wanted to talk to all these people about and even if I'm interviewing people who are headlining shows whatever that means because you can always be a headliner and always a you know support act at any point in your career Uh, I want to hear those stories about them you know forging their path and or maybe you're not direct support yet, and I'm talking to you about getting to a point where you are opening for bigger bands, not just playing clubs, whatever. Anyway, so that was just an aside because I realized I've never addressed that, and it's probably important. We were direct support for those shows, and there would be you know, occasional nights where we'd get up there, we'd write our set list, and then we just weren't, either A, weren't feeling one of the songs that we were supposed to play that night, or B, we had a little bit of extra time. So um, and especially some of those early shows where like it was just us and Dangerous Summer and Lockett hadn't joined us and we, we were just like the bill. There would be nights where we got to have longer sets, 40 minute sets, you know, because like when you're opening, you get like 35. We would get like 40, 45 and like you fucking claw for that time when you're an opener, you know, because that's only like six songs, five five or six songs. And then you get to throw in a seventh song. So. Alenda and Dizzy were the only two songs that we felt were worked out enough to be playing in front of people because they had months and months on these other songs that we had been writing at the same time, but also like a comfort level of us having done them at soundcheck and stuff. And Alenda, we would throw in there even if we didn't have the time because it was a quick hit and we could just kind of shred it and and be off. But like Dizzy, we would need to chunk out an entire section for it. Um, And I remember us doing that in Fargo which was the second show of the tour, maybe. And then Matt Kennedy from Dangerous Summer just came up and was like, that's the fucking song. And that meant a lot to me because we, you know, we're just meeting them, we're getting to know them, and it was early in the tour, and they just, like, walked in during that, and he was, like, kind of fired up and was like, what's that, is that recorded? No, sick, dude, that's fucking... You got a special new thing coming out later. And that got, kind of, that got me kind of amped. And I'm going to go to a little clip of my conversation with Colin how conscious was it? Cause you and Matt might be like the most locked in on this song. It feels like you guys I was really I, locked the fuck in. I was thinking that when I was just listening back, I, the way that Brian mixed uh, my bass matched with Matt's kick mm-hmm. is so perfect. 
Like, yeah, but it's, I also don't know if you, you're giving yourselves enough credit for that, too. You guys are, like, very meticulous. When we play, we'll do a song over and over again, and then there's a whole practice basically dedicated to you two figuring out your stuff while me and Chris figure out our, like, our stuff, you know? Right, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, Matt and I have... It's It's funny because I almost think that because the two of us started on the opposite instruments when we when we eventually settled into Matt on drums and myself on bass uh it felt like we had already had so much practice like learning each other's styles right and being able to fit with each other as a rhythm section that it was i think that it's like a really seamless partnership and it's fun getting to that point where we feel like we know what we're playing as individuals enough when we start practicing a song that there's like, there's always a practice when we can both kind of tell that, okay, you have a general drum part and I have a general bass, general bass part. And now we need to listen to each other to see where we need to give and where we need to take. And there's like, I feel like that happens all the time with us. We're like a fill that he's doing will cause me to write a cooler bass part or like vice versa where a bass part that I'm playing. Well, what's going to, what's going to give like the other person more respect than like having played their instrument, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Totally. And like having played his instrument while he was playing mine. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I think that that partnership, honestly, like, you can, in my opinion, you can like feel it and see it when we play live because we're just so like Matt and I are so tuned in, like locked in with each other that like a lot of times when we play live, like we even like hang out with each other at the same times because we know that there are like certain times throughout the set when like we're super locked in mm-hmm. and it's just always fun to be like looking at each other and talking to each other during that. Yeah. It's really comforting. Nice. It's nice. I love being, I love being rhythm boy. And so then when we got back, we linked up with uh, Brian, Brian Rosemeyer, who, who produced this song and he also produced Alenda and was kind of the bridge to us recording um, with anybody who wasn't Steven Gomez, our buddy, because Steven was out with uh, Fits in the Tantrums and we we're also like looking for a chance to like kind of play everything a little bit more live. And here's me talking to Brian. And it was like, oh, this is cool. There's, there's this energy that's in the live stuff that's not really in those recordings. And like you hear this, these beautiful, it's beautiful songs presented in a beautiful way. But it wasn't the way you were doing it live as a band. And that's, that's the thing that excited me. Because that, that's, that's when I have the most fun in the studio is when a band is being a band. And that's the energy that I love being around. And, and the thing that attracted me to just doing this period was that energy like it's why i wanted to be in a band when i was in bands it's like that thing that happens that you can't uh can't always define but it's that 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 synergy that energy that a band just has together and and what you guys do together is important in the way you interact and 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 in those jam the band it was a different band because you had those Colin guys flipped. Switched, yeah. Colin and Matt were, were, were switched. And, and I was like, okay, well, th- that was interesting to me too, to see that the difference in what, it's a different band. Like I wanted it to sound like a band in a room playing 
one song together mm-hmm. at the same time. Whether it is or isn't that, that's the studio magic. But I want to present that. That's how I wanted to present it to people. So it's like, that's why we did kind of the track it as a band, do it as live as you can, as if you're playing a show. And then break it down. But then that energy will always be there and you can reconnect with yourself. If, even if you're overdubbing your guitar part, you remember that energy of that take. And when you looked at Colin during that moment or when you looked at Matt or, or, or whatever, like you know when it's happening because you already did it and you played, you were already a part of that performance. So you can kind of reconnect with yourself. So yeah, man, it feels kind of weird to be putting out a song about touring when I can't tour. Um, when nobody can tour, when none of us can, that's okay. It's kind of strange. It's like weird and longing and a bit of a grasp for us to like remind y'all that, that we exist and we used to be a band that liked to play shows in front of human beings. Um, we still are, but, but we're, we're also taking the time, you know, there's a lot to be learning right now. There's a lot to be growing from and, and working on, which is what we're doing. But I think the other thing that's in the song is the inherent dizziness, for lack of a better word, or uh, whiplash you can get from wanting the opposite of the situation you're in. And that doesn't mean that, like, I fucking hate being at home, and then when I'm on the road, I'm, like, a, a miser. Like, I love them both, and I anticipate them both, and I, I look forward to both of them when I'm in the other one. And that's, I think, a little bit more what it's about. Is... uh is recognizing that even in the realization of your dreams, it still becomes commonplace, you know? It's still, like, it's still where you, what, what's it? Wherever you go, there you are. It's that. Um, and if you interpret it differently, by all means, man, this is just my interpretation of this song. And I don't think I necessarily wrote it with these intentions first. You know, I think even some of the lines just rhymed and then I ended up flipping, like, what line goes with, what next line because I realized it fit better. I think I did that for the first verse where it's like, because I'm precious about the way that I sing my songs. I'm empty every time I sing it wrong. I think I said precious or empty. I don't know. Something where I flipped those lines because, and I just did realize they didn't even make sense. But then once I started to like realize that this was a song about, about touring and a song about um, missing home and, and all that jazz. I just had a, like a realization that the song had to had to be crafted a little bit differently. We did a lot of stuff at home on this recording too that got mixed in there. A lot of the key stuff that happens at the end, I fucking I think it's beautiful. That's like that's Chris on the OP one, and and that, those are fun days of us being at home and then like like somebody going to work and then coming back and then like going to do a thing and then coming back and a different guy would be in the room and and we would work on percussion with a couple of us or whatever the fuck and uh, that was a lot of fun. So here's Matt on that. Yeah, well, I mean, the the idea behind it, too, was like, we're like, we have this, it kills live. Yeah. Like, this was another thing where I think when we were debating, because I was, I was on team, let's not have the outro on the record, because mm-hmm. like, it Right, you were saying, sense. let's just do it as a live additive? Yeah, the algorithm doesn't like outros. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, my, my thing was like, maybe we break it off into Dizzy Part 1, Dizzy Part 2. Like, I don't really know. But pre-tour, when we were when we had it, it was, you know, it was tourable. It was liveable. It wasn't 
done, but it was good enough to play live and it's it's a good enough song and we were tight enough on it and like we'll figure it out. And I'm so glad that we did because like seeing people see us do that live, I was like, oh shit, like people really like this. Yeah. It's super energetic. If this translates live to the record, then it's gonna be awesome. Like without those, it sound I was like getting anxiety listening to the song. I'm like, what does it need? <laughs> a lot of layers of reverse distorted feedback guitars that were like bringing, like swelling the volume in and then OP1, like this weird distorted patch that Chris found in like five seconds. All of this stuff, except for in the outro with the arpeggiator stuff, was just Chris like, yeah, I think I got a good patch for that. Boop, 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 dude. Nope, not that one. Boop, boop, boop. Duh. Yep, that one. And it was just so quick. I'm like, how did you... I'm convinced that he sat there for hours trying to find the right preset. Doing it in advance. And then he came <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, it is. Like, well, it, I loved the patch. Say. I love the patch that we used for the very outro. So, what, like, all that, the all the key sounding stuff mm-hmm. on the fade out of the song after everything is gone. Yeah. It's really subtle, really warm, and, uh, and, like, still interesting enough for us to, like, have trouble cutting it any shorter than it is. It's, it's almost like 10 seconds, you we know? We already cut it. Yeah, we did Another cut it eight seconds yeah. it went on for a while because we liked it yeah <laughs> yeah but it's nice dude it sounds really cool yeah, yeah. and then all those like little like mm-hmm. like that what sounds like you're dropping a reverb tank yeah. or whatever that's all op1 as well that i we think did. a couple of them are guitar slaps yeah i think it's a mix in the studio yeah. yeah it's it's yeah. a mixture between mm-hmm. the two like and they're panning and doing yeah. weird stuff yeah but that it's crazy because like i think that unless you listen to this podcast, you probably won't know that there's a synth going on in the outro. Right. Until you hear the very, very, yeah. very end when it's like fully exposed. Right. You literally can't hear mm-hmm. it. And yeah. I think and that's the point. And totally. it sounds, without it, it does not sound big. Yeah. At all. It's so weird. Yeah. And a good exercise, because that was something that Brian pushed us to do, even though I don't think we were necessarily like used to it, was him being like, why would you pay for studio time with me if you can take care of the stuff at home? We don't need to use studio time to get a tambourine tone. Um, And I think that's one of the things in my conversation with Noah where he's like, yeah, I think anybody who, Noah from Runner in that episode is like, anything you can do to get the demo as far as you possibly can and then mix that with like whatever work you can do in a studio is going to yield the best result because it's going to have that homegrown um, energy and it's going to have a natural appeal. You know, Derek Ted is another person who's a big, and and Kev, I guess all those guys like is a big proponent of like not sacrificing the realism of your work for for studio quality. I think I've said enough. I'm excited for you guys to hear this one, man. Like I don't have any I know I always ask you guys to help me out on the podcast, like getting it some semblance of relevance or whatever. Or like trying to help me promote it. I just want you to listen to the song. Maybe share it if you really feel crazy. Jam on it a little bit. Maybe like it, so get it, get into your rotation, or put it in a playlist or something. Because uh, this one means a lot to me, and I've I've um, been sitting on it for what feels like forever. Um, I mean, obviously, I liked it enough. I had to text the guys and be like, "Hey, can I use this song as my podcast opener and closer?" Because it's like two different songs, right? They don't sound like the same thing. And obviously all of them were like, yeah, totally, dude, do it. Um, but So you guys have been hearing these licks, you know, since April or something, jazz. Man, 
We've been doing this a while. April 28th. That makes sense. Okay, cool. So yeah, I mean, that, that tells you how long a song can just live somewhere, you know? Meanwhile, like, other people can just record stuff and put stuff out. I don't know. It's kind of a, a tough... Good on you. Sometimes I wish things move faster. Sometimes I think that it's cool that we're a little bit uh, precious about it. Not to quote the song, but like, I think it's okay to sit on it and let it incubate um, and make sure that the version of it that you're going to put out is the best version. Anyway, I think this is the best version. Here's, uh, Here's Dizzy by Arms Akimbo. Thanks for listening. I love you. A lot. Second, but the minutes don't last. Feeling dizzy 